0: programs written about what the future will look like you know it's funny when you watch films when we were growing up and one of my favorite tv programs of all time was space 1999 and i remember saying to my saying to my oh in 1999 i'll be 26 and thinking oh that is just miles away 1999 was so far in the future and it's gone like that you know, when we look back now and we see programs that were set in days that uh, we've actually passed, um, you know and there's always flying cars, isn't it? There? There's always flying cars in the future. Uh, and who knows? Maybe one day they, they will be. Uh, but we're fascinated by the future. And we can look at world events and think, who, what's happening? There are certain events which cause us to stop what we doing. You know people say, oh, uh, at the time, everybody knew where they were when um, they found out that um, President Kennedy had been shot. You know, the shot that was heard around the world. And there are certain instances, it's the same uh, maybe when um, we heard the news that Princess Diana had passed away. There were certain instances in our lives where we think, ooh, I remember where I was at that time. And then there are certain events that happen in the world, and we think, ooh, is the Lord making a statement here? Is the Lord trying to get our attention? Is the Lord doing something? Or is Bible prophecy coming to pass? You know, lots of people have speculated about what is going on uh, in the Middle East at the moment and what's happening with Israel. And we recognize um, that Israel plays an important part in Bible prophecy. Um, You know, there would be some that say, well, Israel has no future. Uh, In the Bible, the church has replaced Israel, and therefore it doesn't matter what happens in the Middle East. Um, I can safely say this that if that was the case, God is untrustworthy, God is a liar, God is a manipulator of people, and God has made false promises that he had no intention of fulfilling. Now, then, I am not saying that Israel is perfect. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that God has a future plan for the people and the nation of Israel. Israel will one day be saved as a nation. There are prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled. There are um, promises made by God to David, to Moses, to Abraham that have not come to pass yet. But we know that God, according to the scripture, cannot lie. So therefore, those promises that he made to Moses, Abraham, David, have to come to pass at some point. So, with that said, can we know what is happening? Now, we understand that we have no idea when the Lord is going to return. Jesus said that to the disciples when the disciples said, Lord, when are you coming back? And he's like, no man knoweth the hour. Nobody knows. The Lord could come back at any moment. Paul made that clear when he spoke to the church at Thessalonica, when they were worried that they had missed the event that we call the rapture. The rapture is not mentioned in the Bible. um, And a lot of people say, well, because it's not mentioned in the Bible, therefore it doesn't exist. Let me tell you something. The word Trinity is not found in the Bible either. But we understand the concept of um, the Trinity, God the Father is equal to God the Son, even though God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Father. He is equal. God the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is equal to the Son, but is not the Son. They they are the same God, but have different functions as God. Um, The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but we understand the concept of the Trinity. There is nothing that needs to happen in Bible prophecy for the rapture to take place. Paul said to the church of Thessalonica when they were worried about those who had died actually missing the resurrection. Understand this, there has to be another resurrection. Okay, we're going to look at this in a little while, but Christ was the first fruit of the resurrection. Okay, so understand that there has to be a resurrection. So they were worried that they'd missed it. And Paul said, look, you can comfort one another with these words. Christ is going to come back, and when he does... The dead in Christ will rise first. He did not say, then those who are alive and remain. He said, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up. That word caught up, hapazo, where we get the English word raptura, rapture from. It just literally means to be snatched, to be caught away. And Then we which are alive will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. So there's nothing that needs to be fulfilled in terms of prophecy for the Lord Jesus Christ to return for his church. Now then, you get into a whole host then of different issues with, is it a pre-tribulation rapture? Is it a mid-tribulation rapture? Is it a post-tribulation rapture? What I believe from reading the scripture, and what this church teaches, and what this church believes from the basic understanding of scripture is that the lord jesus christ will rapture the church before the tribulation starts the tribulation is not for the church the tribulation is for israel Um, we are not under god's wrath if we had to go through the tribulation then the death of christ on the cross wasn't good enough to deal with god's wrath Um, The tribulation is for Israel. That is why it is called the day of Jacob's trouble. During that tribulation period, Israel will be redeemed. Um, In accordance with Revelation, 144,000 witnesses, 12,000 from each tribe will evangelize the world. Jew and Gentile will be saved during the tribulation. Um, And then Israel as a nation will be saved And they will fulfill the prophecy spoken of by Zechariah when they finally look on him whom they've pierced and say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So I'm saying all of that to lay the foundation of what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks. What is going on in the world? Do we know what's happening? And and to some extent, yes, we do. Um, God has not left us with no roadmap whatsoever. God has not left us here to say, Do you know what? Figure it out for yourselves. God has a timetable. You know, I mentioned it this morning where sometimes the church can kind of neglect the Old Testament. Well, we are under grace. We're not under the Lord anymore. Therefore, the Old Testament doesn't apply to us. Uh, Pastor Ed used to say that Christ is in the old concealed, but in the new revealed. Um, we have a lot in the Old Testament um, to lay the foundation of what we believe. And God has given us a timetable. Um, God has told us exactly what's going to happen and the order in which things are going to happen. And he's done this by giving Israel seven feasts. And in those seven feasts, um, we see God's timetable. We actually see how, um, and we're going to look at these in different ways. We're going to look at how they apply to Israel. We're going to look at how the Lord Jesus Christ has and will fulfill those feasts. And we're going to look at how they apply to us. And that's going to help us have some comfort with what's going on in the world today. Because we can look at the world and think, oh my goodness, this is horrendous, this is terrible, we need to hit the panic button. Uh, But when we realize what's happening and how it's happening, and you know, when we understand Russia's role in things, and when we understand Iran's role in things, and when we understand Israel's role in things, we can look at the scripture and think, okay, what God says is actually coming to pass. So we're going to look at the seven feasts of Israel because God designated a specific time, place, and participant for each feast. And God uses a simple picture of seven feasts to teach some of the most profound truths that we have and to give us a timetable um, with what is happening. Leviticus chapter 23, um, and we, this is where we come to Um, The seven feasts, these holy convocations, these feasts of the Lord. Leviticus chapter 23. And this is what verse 1 says And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation. You should do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which he shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month, that even is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread. Under the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. But he shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. He shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and ye shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. and ye shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow. After the Sabbath the priest shall wave it. Uh, And then we have in verse 15, and he shall count unto from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that he brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall shall ye number 50 days. And he shall offer a new meat offering. In verse 23, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month. In the first day of the month shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying also, on the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you. And ye shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Verse 33, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak and to the children of Israel, saying, the fifteenth day of this seventeenth month, of this seventh month sorry shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. He shall do no servile work therein. Seven days he shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. And he shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. And he shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord, which he shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offering, everything upon his day, besides the Sabbaths of the Lord and beside your gifts and beside all your vows and beside all your free will offerings, which he shall give unto the Lord. And he goes on to say then, Uh, right at the end that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God and Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord Father we thank you again for this day for this time together and for the reading of your precious word Lord we pray that you would help us to apply this word to our hearts and to our lives And Father, I pray that when we look at the events that go on in the world around us, that we would not lose heart, that we would not be discouraged, that we would not be overcome with the wickedness uh, and the man's inhumanity, to man, uh, that we wouldn't be uh, discouraged because of what we see around us, that we would take heart to know uh, that you have a timetable, uh, that you have a plan that has been set forth from before the foundation of this world, and nothing man does can alter that. Lord, we recognize that in your sovereign perfection, you have laid out a plan for the ages. And Father, we see that plan in these seven feasts. So Lord, we just ask that you would help us as believers to not only take heart, but to realize the importance that we have to witness to a lost and dying world, to realize that we are coming towards the end of your timetable here on earth, so Lord, would you just speak to our hearts tonight? Would you give us the encouragement we need as we look at such a wicked and desperate situation in the world today, and that we would be mindful to give you the glory for who you are and for what you've done and for what you will do, and we'll be uh, and we'll thank you for it. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name, Amen. How many of you um, still use a diary? Anybody still use a diary? Um, now with the phones you know we kind of stick everything in our phones i am useless if i don't have it written down um my mind is like a sieve i am i am absolutely hopeless um, so what joe has done now because we kind of got our phones linked um if somebody asked me to do something and i say yeah yeah no problem i'll do that joe's already written it down and put it in my diary on my phone so anything that that I do this good. So if I send you a text and say, hey, I'm praying for you, it's not because I really cared about you, it's just that Joe's reminding me to text Yeah. <laughs> Joe cannot function without a diary. Um, she doesn't really like the diaries on the phone because she likes to see it. Um, and on her desk, she's got her church diary and her personal diary, and everything is written down So we know what is happening between now and until that diary runs out. Um, And it's incredible uh, to think, you know, that we rely so heavily on knowing what's coming up. Um, It's incredible for the fact that the Lord has kind of given us a diary, a a plan of events. He says uh, in Amos 3.7, surely the Lord God will do nothing But he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. So what he's saying here is, is that God is not going to do anything in secret without telling people first. God is not underhanded in that way. God declared that he would do nothing without first revealing it to his servants, without first revealing it to the prophets. Can I say this? That God also uses a calendar. Whatever God does is never the result of an afterthought. You know, what is happening in the Middle East right now is not taking God by surprise. We know that in accordance with um, certain prophecies in the Bible, that things in the Middle East will get even worse. Uh, When you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39, uh, when you look through the book of Revelation, when you look uh, at the book of Daniel, you recognize that there's worse to come. Um, But we have um, the fact that God is working to a plan. God is the God of order. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, God provides picture after picture after picture of his plan to mankind. And one of the most startling prophetic pictures is actually found in these seven Feast. You know what blew my mind? When I first came to the church 17 years ago, uh, Brother Andrew was doing a Sunday school class, um, which was before the morning service, um, and he was doing a series on the book of Psalms. And a statement he made really stood out in my mind. Now, understand this. In 2006, I had only been called to preach three years earlier. Um, I'd not been to Bible college. I've not Um, you know, had um, any seminary or Bible professors tell me what the Bible means. Um, A lot of, uh, you know, what I've learned, I've just learned from reading the Bible. And Brother Andrew made a statement that I had never heard before, and I thought, wow, is that true? And he said that the most prophetic books that we have are actually the book of Psalms. Um, And we get quite surprised sometimes with what the Lord has revealed in his word. Uh, I mean, you you look at the book of Psalms, and we understand the prophecy. Sometimes, you know, people can um, make prophecy say what they wanted to say. When you allegorize things, you can make a passage of scripture say whatever you want the passage of scripture to say. Um, But when you look at the book of Psalms, in prophecy, sometimes there is a, a near fulfillment, and there is a Uh, you know, a perfect fulfillment. We see that in the book of Daniel. We see Daniel talk about the abomination of desolations. We know that Antiochus, in the time of the Maccabees, desecrated the temple. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, so we know that even though it had a near fulfillment, it also has a future fulfillment. And we see that right the way throughout the Old Testament. God has given us pictures um, in the tabernacle. We saw pictures in the tabernacle of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the way of salvation, even in the offerings. Uh, I did a series a couple of years ago on the offerings and uh, I showed how each offering was actually fulfilled by Christ on the cross. At each time frame on the cross that each offering was being given, um, there was a fulfillment um, of what was taking place Uh, uh, of Christ heading to the cross. So God has provided us with these pictures in the Bible to comfort us and help us with what is going on in the world. And like I said, one of the incredible pictures is here in the the, the picture of the seven feasts. Now there are three words used for the word feast. The first word is mister, uh, and it's a generic term for feast. It carries the idea of gathering to honor an important person, like Abraham honored his three guests in Genesis 19, and like Job did for his sons on their birthday in Job chapter 1, verse 4. So that is a generic term for a feast for a gathering um, to honor a guest. Then it is hag, um, and this is a pilgrimage feast, unleavened bread. Pentecost, and Tabernacles. They were the three feasts that they had to go to Jerusalem for. And the word hag is used for those three feasts. They are for a spiritual purpose and a specific feast commanded by God. This is the word Moses used in Exodus 5.1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast Under me in the wilderness. A specific feast commanded by God. And then the final word used for feast is moed. And that is um, literally an appointed time. Um, A word demonstrates God's control over circumstances. Uh, It comes from the word uh, betrothal, um, like the parents uh, would um, plan to. Uh, every part of the wedding to the finest detail. And in Moed, God plans all the details. God shapes history to bring about each appointment. Numbers 10.3 says, And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Um, some might say the tent of meeting or the tent of appointment the first time that this word crops up is in genesis 1 14 and god said let there be lights in the firmament of heaven uh, to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons moed for seasons and for days and years so the word seasons there is the same word translated as feast. god organizing things in minute Detail. It is a appointed times. Why has God set the stars and the planets in the sky? For appointed times. For signs. For seasons. For days. For years. So that we might tell what the time is. Why has God designed seven specific feasts listed in Leviticus 23? So we might know what the time is. So we might tell what the season is so we might be able to know and understand where we are on God's timetable. God has carefully planned and orchestrated the timing of each and sequence of each of these seven feasts to reveal to us a specific story. Um, The seven uh, annual feasts of Israel were spread over seven months of the Jewish calendar uh, at set times appointed by god and they're still celebrated today if you remember um last week's event actually took place um, as they were coming towards the end of the feast of tabernacles um, for both jews and non-jews who've placed their faith in christ as their savior then these special days simply demonstrate the redemptive work of the lord jesus christ they lead us from the cross to the crown from Christ's triumphal entry into jerusalem right the way through to his millennial reign leviticus 23 you know oftentimes we and let's be honest how many of us have really trudged their way through leviticus when it comes to our bible reading if we were to be 100 percent honest we kind of yeah we we like part of genesis and then we kind of we're okay with a little bit of excess and And then we come to Leviticus, and we're like, oh. We miss a lot when we have that attitude when it comes to, I love Leviticus. Um, I really do. Um, You know, there's incredible information about the offerings, about how we approach God, about what God is planning to do. And the feasts are No different. Leviticus 23 is one of the most profound chapters in all the Word of God. Now then, you might be saying here today, well, wait a minute. We are Christians. We're not under the law, and therefore, we're not required to keep these seven feasts. You are absolutely right. We're not required to keep them. So do they mean anything to us? Well, yeah, we're going to look at three things tonight. First of all, and this is just... An introduction over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at each feast individually, look where it occurs during the, the, the calendar, look what it meant, look what um, Christ did, and look what it means to us. So they tell us what God has done. Can I say this, dear? God is not the God of mistakes, God is not the God of coincidences. You know, it's not like, oh, I can't believe that this passage of Scripture actually ties in with that passage of Scripture and they kind of, they make sense together. God's not the God of coincidences. God is not the God of um, mistakes. He is a God of order. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians fourteen forty, he said, let all things be done decently and in order. From the very first To the last, God is a God of order. The book of Leviticus is a book that concerns itself with order, how things are done. How God was to be approached. How sin was to be dealt with. How sin that you knew you'd committed was to be dealt with. How sin that you were unaware that you'd committed was to be dealt with. How sins of commission were to be dealt with. And how sins of omission were to be dealt with. How we worship God. How we thank God. How we approach God. God is a God of order. You know, and there are those today that think it doesn't really matter how we worship God. Um, But it's important how we approach Him. You know, sometimes we're quite blase about it. Well, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Therefore, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does, because God is still holy. Um, Jesus said to the woman at the well that God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Um, When we read through the book of Leviticus, when we come to... Um, chapter 10, we are introduced to two men, uh, sons of Aaron, priests of God, Nadab and Abihu. And they took the attitude that it doesn't really matter how we approach God. It doesn't really matter how we, uh, you know, what we offer to God. And the Bible says that they offered strange fire before the Lord, And various things have been suggested as to what they did, whether they used different ingredients in their incense that wasn't divinely prescribed in, the, in Leviticus, whether they used fire that wasn't off the altar as was prescribed in Leviticus, we don't know. What we do know is that it was unacceptable to the Lord. And as a result, it cost them their lives. We cannot worship the Lord any old way. Leviticus is a book of regulation. So these feasts, they tell us what God has done. Um, But not only do they tell us what God has done, they also tell us what Christ would do. Uh, Remember, Christ is revealed on all pages of the scripture. Uh, We see him in um, pictorial uh, view. Um, so when we see things in the, in the Old Testament, whether it's the ark um, that Noah went on, we see that as a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, as a way of salvation. The pitch uh, that was placed on the ark, the word Hebrew there for pitch is actually atonement, a covering. Uh, we see the one door into the ark. We see the protection of God's judgment, uh, where the protection of the people in the ark when God's judgment comes. So we see pictures Uh, In the Old Testament. So these seven feasts. Tell us what Christ would do. The first four of these feasts. uh, And that is Passover. Unleavened bread. First fruits and weeks. They've been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, They were fulfilled at his first coming. The final three feasts. Trumpets. The day of atonement. And tabernacles. Occur during the autumn within a short 15-day period um so we see the spring feasts then we see a gap of time and then we see the autumn feasts um, these autumn feasts have not been fulfilled yet but just as the four spring feasts were fulfilled perfectly by the lord jesus christ remember what he said to the pharisees he came to fulfill The law. Um, So, as he fulfilled the feast at his first coming, the spring feast, he'll fulfill the autumn feast at his second coming. We're not going to look at all of these in detail, but I'll just cover these quickly. Um, So, Passover um, pointed to Messiah as our Passover lamb. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5 7 Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened, for even Christ. Our Passover is sacrificed for us. Christ was crucified at the time that the Passover lamb was being offered. Perfectly fulfilling the Passover. He is our Passover. Then we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, That points to the consequence of Christ's death. Leaven in the scripture is always a picture of sin. It's never a good thing. Um, And... This made Christ the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And while Jesus' body was in the grave during the first days of this feast, like a kernel of wheat planted and waiting to burst forth as the bread of life on that third day. The feast of first fruits pointed to Christ's resurrection. Um, and Christ was resurrected on the very day. And Paul refers to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 as the first fruits from the dead Um, weeks or pentecost occurred 50 days after the beginning of the feast of unleavened bread and that points to the harvest the harvest of souls the giving of the holy spirit Um, some would say that that was when the church began Uh, and the church we understand when the church started it was completely jewish Um, we might not like to hear that but It started in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Um, So uh, we see the the day of Pentecost, Peter's great sermon, the Holy Spirit being poured out, and 3,000 Jews responding to that sermon. Then we have the uh, Feast of Trumpets. And according to Numbers 10... The Jewish people used trumpets for a number of reasons. They blew the trumpet to gather the assembly. They blew the trumpet to declare war, or they blew the trumpet to announce that they were moving camp. Right now, the people of Israel are scattered. And you might say, well, hang on, they're in the land. Not all of them are in the land. They are still people scattered uh, we, you know, we had a, a ministry here on the weekend talking about um, how to uh, take the opportunity to witness to those who are in this country. You know, there are um, Jewish people, you know, um, Tom and Esme used to go all over Europe. Um, you know, we know of ministries in France. Um, so they, they're not back in the land yet. Um, so there will be a future regathering and restoration of Jewish people in a time to come, and then we have the Day of Atonement, uh, and a lot of people confuse this because of the trumpet um, being sounded. Um, you know, they they confuse this with the uh, um, the, the rapture, um, the, the the trumpet. Sorry, the previous feast. They, they confuse that with the rapture. But it's all to do with the second coming of Christ, which leads us on then to the day of atonement when Christ returns to earth and completes Zechariah 12, 10. They shall look upon me whom they've pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. Israel will repent of their sins and will finally receive Christ as their Messiah. And then the last feast is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now then, let me ask you this question. What was the purpose for God building the tabernacle? Now, I covered the tabernacle, um, and we were in the tabernacle for weeks and weeks and weeks. Why did God build the tabernacle? Go on. So people could approach him, yes. But I'm looking for another reason. Why did God build a tabernacle? Go on, Brother Andrew. So I might dwell among them. That's why God wanted to build a tabernacle, so he could dwell among his people. When Jesus says, when it says that the word became flesh, and the flesh tabernacled among us, When we are saved, now we are the temple of God, the naos, the Greek word is there, which literally means the Holy of Holies. This is where God dwells today within us. So his purpose is to dwell among his people. So the Feast of Tabernacles will be completed when the Lord's promise is fulfilled that he will once again tabernacle, dwell with his people. Hence, the need for the millennial reign of Christ, for these promises to be fulfilled. So they, the feasts tell us what God has done, they tell us what Christ did, and they also tell us what we should be doing. As we examine the scripture, we recognize that there's three ways to approach the scripture. First of all, there's a primary approach. Uh, There's a primary association. We understand that this was given to the children of Israel in the wilderness um, at, at, at a specific time. And we recognize that it's a way that God was able to regulate worship and created a special occasion where Jewish people might recall the blessings of God and fellowship with Him. Secondly, there's not only a primary association, there's a prophetic anticipation. Uh, we've considered that also how this chapter sets out the timeline of Israel's history centering around their relationship to the Messiah. And then finally, we look at not just primary association or prophetic anticipation. We look at personal application. How does this passage apply to me? How are we able to Uh, apply this to our lives leviticus speaks to us about how we approach the lord how we worship the lord how we witness for the lord you know time and time again the lord said these are my feasts he called them convocations a calling together and assembly this was god's time it was his Feasts, Isaiah 1.14, it says, Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul, hate death. Why? Because they were no longer his feasts. They had become the Jews' feasts. And the Jews' Passover um, was at hand. And after this, there was a feast of the Jews. Uh, Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. They'd lost focus that it it had become their feasts. And it's not, it's the Lord's face. You know, oftentimes we get bogged down in church about how we want things done. And it doesn't matter what we want. All that matters is what he wants. You know, and and we all have got different views of how, how we should do things in church. We might all be wrong. But at least God gives us an idea of how we are to approach him. What began as a holy convocation, something that was meant to bless the people, had become burdensome by the time of Christ. You know, we talked about this this morning, the Lord's Day. When I was growing up, nothing was open on a Sunday. You know, there was hardly anything on TV either. Um, when I'd go up to, to Graham and Bamps, if I was, they were babysitting, we went to church for Sunday school. We had Sunday dinner, we went to church in the night. That was it. Um, There was nothing else to do on a Sunday, but now it's no longer the Lord's day. It's our day. It's another day to get some overtime in. It's another day to spend with the family rather than with the Lord. It's another day to visit, to watch TV, to watch sports, to do whatever. In our worship, it's possible for holy things to lose their vitality and turn to a formality. Formality. So Leviticus is important because it tells us how we are to approach God. Now you might say, what on earth does that have to do with what's going on today? We need to recognize that God's clock is ticking. There is a gap between the spring feasts and the autumn feasts. The spring feasts will fulfill that Christ first come in. <clears throat> the autumn feasts will be fulfilled at his second coming. And what we need to realize is, with what's going on in the world today, God has highlighted the fact that his return is getting closer and closer and closer. God has not left us here clueless. He has given us his calendar. He has given us his time table. He has given us his, the Lord said that we are to be aware of the signs. And there's plenty going on in the world today to point to the fact that this world is not getting better. This world is getting worse. Um, it's safe to say that with what's going on Uh, In the Middle East, we recognize the fact that that is the focal point of the world. And let me tell you something. That's not just a physical battle. What's going on in the Middle East is a spiritual battle. Um, So many times in Scripture, uh, we've seen Satan try to eliminate the Jewish people. Why? Because if he can eliminate the Jewish people, he can make out. God to be a liar. And God cannot, does not, and will not lie. He does have a future for this people called Israel. And that's quite clear in his word. You know, um, it doesn't matter what the UN says, it doesn't matter what delegations are sent, and it doesn't matter what Israel does with their army, what Hamas does with their army, what Iran does with their money, what Russia does with their missiles, because God is the one that has the final say. There is a far greater battle that will come against Israel in a day where the armies march against that nation and they'll be defeated. There comes a day when the world's armies march upon that nation and the Lord Jesus Christ will return and destroy them himself. They are still God's people. I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Um, I'm not saying that Israel is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But what I am saying is this. Keep your eye on the Middle East. Keep your eye on God's timetable. Um, it clearly tells us what is going to happen. And for the purpose of... And for what purpose that is happening. Um, And God's timetable is laid out quite clearly in the feasts of Leviticus. Next week, we'll start looking at the feasts in a lot more detail. And again, we will look at the same things. We look at why God gave the feast, how it um, uh, was applicable in the day, how Christ fulfilled that feast, and then we look at how that feast is applicable to us today. Father, thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity to come around you a word, Lord. I pray that you would just help us uh, to not lose heart when we look uh, around us at the world today, and for us to realize that you are the God of order, and you have all things under control. Father, I'm thankful that my trust is in you, and, and is not in man, as Psalm 118.8 says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes, And Lord, our confidence is not in any peace treaty. Our confidence is not in any signed accords that man can turn their back on. Our confidence is in the Prince of Peace. Our confidence is in the one who has set the timetable before us. And Father, I just pray that if there's anyone here tonight in this building or anyone watching online that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, then I pray that tonight would be the night that they would come to know him. Maybe they're looking at the world around us and are panicking because of what's happening. Maybe they are frightened by what they see on the news. Well, Lord, I pray that they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ tonight and that they would receive his peace that passes all understanding. The Lord Jesus Christ said that there is coming a day where wickedness will abound, as it was in the days of Noah, where every thought and intent of man was evil continually. As it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, where sin abounded, so it will be in the last days. Father, I'm thankful for the fact that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And I'm thankful for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which cleanseth us from all sin. The Lord Jesus Christ said that there will be wars and rumors of wars, that this world. We'll literally go through labor pains, and those pains are awful uh, until the birth. And Father, we recognize that this world is going to go through terrible pains before the Lord Jesus Christ returns, but help us as believers to not focus on the world and become disheartened. Help us to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and take encouragement that the, even though time is running out, we have a a commission to preach the gospel to every creature. So help us to do that. So Lord, we plead, if there's anyone here tonight or watching online that has never trusted Christ as their Savior, may tonight be the night of salvation. We pray and ask these things in Christ's most wonderful and perfect name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last hymn together as we close out our service. Come now, fount of every blessing. And we'll stand as we sing.
1: things that we have heard and in the light of the things that we have heard our god we pray that we might continue to look at we thank you that the lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of god and the dead in christ shall rise first and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to be together with the lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the lord and the apostle could say therefore comfort one another with these words we pray that we will be comforted this evening our god and that we've been saved from the wrath which is to come we know that wrath is real our god we know that it will come because the promise of thy word is that it will come It will come upon the all all the end god and those unbelievers we pray that if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know christ is saved, that they will turn to him tonight and trust in the precious blood which he shed calm. Bless us now, our God, we pray, as we part. Be with each one of us and keep us our God comforted. Because we know that the name are those everlasting words. We praise you again for thy son, our Savior. We pray thy like, continued blessing in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen.